you have your Bibles and electronic devices, you can click to, turn to with me to Nehemiah chapter 5. And so we've been in the study of Nehemiah, and I've been walking you um, not so much verse by verse as I normally do like the New Testament. And it's more of a didactic sermon, and you can, it's easier to go verse by verse. And so we've been taking it chapter by chapter because Nehemiah is a story. It's a story about a group of people uh, that are being rebuilt. Nehemiah was lived in a different area. Uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't a Jew, but he heard about the issues with the Jews. And so it, it, broke his, it broke his heart. And so we live in a time of anger and we live in a time of outrage, right? There's a lot of people that are angry about some things and, and outrage and anger and outrage is kind of a popular thing. I'm not so much interested in what makes you angry or what gives you outrage. I'm interested in what breaks your heart. Because whatever breaks your heart and whatever breaks my heart, which causes us to pray and fast and, and see how we can be a part of bringing healing and comfort to others, that's what moves us. That's what changes us. And so Nehemiah was this guy that he was, it just broke his heart what was going on in Jerusalem. So he goes to Jerusalem. Uh, they're going to rebuild a wall. But this story is more than just rebuilding the wall. It's rebuilding the lives of people so that they can live in peace and safety and security. And so last weekend, we looked at this topic of overcoming opposition. And so this weekend, we're looking at the title of this message, Overcoming Conflict. And so, so I, I talked to you a little bit about that last week, that opposition and conflict are two different things. And a lot of times people see them as like, like, like synonymous or like the same thing, and it's not. Opposition is this issue. It's just all about power. It's all about control. It's, a, it's, it's not a win-win. It's not a compromise. It's just how can I destroy you and how can I... And so that's what opposition is. person that's in opposition is never looking uh, for compromise or, or, or reconciliation. It's just, it's just about them. And so, but this weekend, we're looking at this issue of just, just conflict, overcoming conflict. And, and last weekend, just to remind you, we just learned something, just a principle, a statement, and that is simply this, and um, is, is I am not God, there are some things that I do not know, and there are some things that I cannot control. That I am not God, there are some things that I, I, I do not understand, there are some things that I cannot control, and guess what? You're not God. And there are some things that you do not understand, and there are some things that you cannot control. And so that is important when you navigate through conflict. That is important when you navigate through relationships, because guess what? There are some things that you and I do not understand, and we may never understand it. And there are some things that you and I, the fact is there are a lot of things that you and I cannot control. I cannot control what people say, and I cannot control how people respond, and I cannot control the choices people make, and I cannot control some things that happen in that world, right? And so we can all make that statement, and we can all make that declaration. said, you're exactly right. I am not God, and, and there are some things that I do not understand, and there are some things that I cannot control, and if we're not careful, we'll walk out of here, get in our vehicles, and we'll go right back to trying to control the world, and we'll go right back trying to control situations and circumstances that we have absolutely no control over. So this issue of conflict is so important because when you and I understand that, yes, there's some things that I cannot control, but there are some things I can control. I can control the way that I pray and read Scripture. I can control uh, how I follow Christ. I can control the things that I say. I can control the things that I do in relationships and in situations. And so that should give us freedom. It should give us freedom to know that, guess what, there are some things that I can control. There are some things that you can control. But there are a lot of things that we can't control. And so when you look at this issue of, of relationships, you realize like the DNA of relationships is God created us. 
that we were made for relationships. We are created for relationships, but then we were also made with the capacity to choose. We can choose those we're in relationship with and those that we're not in relationship with. And that we were, we were, we were made in such a way that we can, we can take responsibility for our actions and we can take responsibility for ourselves. And so when you look at this issue of, of, of relationships, you, just, you realize that, that trust is the glue. And trust is the engine of relationships. And so just real quickly, this issue of trust is just so important. Uh, Webster would define it this way. It says, belief that someone or something is reliable, good, honest, effective, assured, reliance on character, ability, strength, or truth or someone of someone or something. And so when you look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah was this guy that had unbelievable trust. He had unbelievable trust as a leader. Some, some have told us that you need three things for, for trust. You need three things to be effective, whether it's as a leader, whether it's in the home, it's in relationships, or whatever. And it's logos, uh, pathos, and ethos. Logos, knowledge, pathos, passion, ethos, ethics. And so logos is like this special knowledge. And so that's why you go to a doctor or a financial planner or a lawyer or a mechanic because they have special knowledge in a certain area that you need. And so when my car breaks, I don't run it down to my doctor's office and ask them to fix it. I don't run it to my financial planner or a lawyer or anything like that because they don't have knowledge in, in that area. Just, just, just a little bit about this is just here recently, and I've been walking through, and, and maybe some of you have heard, uh, I've been having some, some medical tests that have, have, have been, been run, and so I, I've, I've had some medical tests, and many of you have experienced that. And so my doctor told me, he says, whatever you do, he says, the way it works now with these patient portals, you're going to get your results before I get to talk to you about it. And whatever you do, don't ask the Google about it, right? I mean, do not go to WebMD. And here's what I've learned about WebMD. If you go to WebMD Every time it's going to tell you you got three days to live. That's it. I mean, you might as well tell your family goodbye. you got the worst situation, and you're, you're going to die. You're going to die. And so when you look at this, you realize, first, you have to have special knowledge. And the second thing is there's a pathos where you have enthusiasm. There's something about people that, have, that are passionate, passionate about what God has called them to do, passionate about what they're doing. That was Nehemiah, right? Many people, 151 years, the walls were down, and all of a sudden, uh, Nehemiah shows up on the scene, and he is like passionate. Nothing great ever happens without passion. I mean, without someone that's just passionate about what God has called them to do or what they believe. And then the, the, the third one is probably one of the most important is that this ethos, this ethics. It's not about what you know. It's not about your passion, and it's not about your knowledge it's about ethics. It's about what you believe. It's about who you are. It's about being consistent in, in character. What you do has far greater impact than what you say. People will always look at your actions more than what you say. And so when you look at this issue of conflict, conflict many times are power struggles over differences. And so there's several different ways, and, and then I'm going to give you three things in just a few moments, but there's several different ways, and maybe you could put yourself in that category, of how people a lot of times handle conflict or their response to conflict. And there's some people that just have like an escape response. When all of a sudden there's a problem, when there's an issue in the family, when there's an issue in the home, when there's an issue in relationships at the business or wherever, they, just, it's just, they, they don't want to deal with the problem. 
And they just want to escape. They just want to tune out, whether it's sports or TV or hobbies or whatever. They know the problem's there, but they, they don't want to deal with it. So it's just like the proverbial, you know, elephant in the room. We'll just, we'll just walk around it. We'll, so we'll sweep it on the rug, and we'll just keep going. And so some people have this escape response. Some people, it's where opposition comes from, have a re- attack response. That whenever there's conflict, whenever there's in- issues in the, wherever in the relationship, they just kind of power up, and it's not win-win, it's not compromise, it is win at all cost. And then there's some that have this just peacemaking, what the scriptures talk about, what be, the Beatitudes talk about. They just have this peacemaking response, and they're seeking a win-win, or at least to be, at least to be. Uh, compromising because when you look at this you realize that unresolved problems whether it's in the home or whether it's in the relationships are like unresolved debts man you you know they're there and you know it's a big issue but if you're not careful you just don't want to deal with it and so you 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 ignore the symptoms and you suppress the reminders until if you're not careful it it destroys your inner peace it destroys your soul where you start walking with a lot of fear. And so it won't be long, if you walk that way long, that it won't be long until you have this overwhelming sense of helplessness. Like all of a sudden you become a victim of your circumstance, a victim of your situation, and like there's nothing you can do, there's nothing you can do to change it. But when you look at this, you realize, just when you look at the book of Nehemiah, problems do not destroy you. Unre- unresolved, unresolved problems, they have the power. Because there's this nagging issue that creates a breeding ground for fear in your life. And when you look at this issue, you realize that these unresolved problems, if you just sit down and talk to like a counselor and just, just ask, ask them some questions, they'll tell you medically that unresolved problems in your life or unresolved stress in your life will cause all kinds of negative um, consequences to your, to your body. Whether it's chronic illness, work stress, you know, interrupting the sleep patterns, whether it's relational problems, whether it's family breakdowns or un- unwelcome symptoms can trigger depression and some of these other things. And so when you look at Nehemiah, you realize that Nehemiah, he's having to lead through major conflict in its textbook of how to handle conflict in your life. And so if you have conflict now or, or if you've ever dealt with conflict, then you can look at these principles and you can learn from these principles because these principles are helpful to me and I, I pray, I pray that they're helpful to you as well. So here, here's the three principles for this weekend. The first one is this. How we handle conflict is critical in rebuilding a life. Nehemiah had it and we can have it. When you start rebuilding a life, when you start putting families back together, when you start rebuilding things in your life, the way in which you handle conflict is critical because guess what? We're all going to have conflict. And so they're rebuilding the wall. They're doing what God has called them to do. And all of a sudden, just, just, just like normal, all of a sudden when you get a lot of people together and they start working together, the conflict comes. And so Nehemiah has to deal with it. And so you remember that there was a period that, that, that the people there they were unfaithful to God. And they were learning once again, they're rebuilding their life. Their unfaithfulness led to the walls being brought down and some of those other things. So they're learning what it means to be faithful to the Lord again. And Nehemiah is a leader and he has to decide, how am I going to handle this? Am I, am I going to escape and just turn my head and let the family deal with this? Just let the kids fight it out. Am I, am I going to just turn my head and act like nothing's, nothing's going on? 
Am I, is that's what I'm going to, am I going to attack? And I'm because I have the power, I, I have the king behind me. Am I just going to power up on everybody? And it's just, it's not a win-win. It's just, it's just, it's all out win. Or am I going to be a peacemaker? When we look at that in the Beatitudes and it said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. That is not passive. That is not passive. When you look at that, that is, that is very active. That is a, a peacemaker. A peacemaker is the one that when they hear of conflict, when they hear of difficulty, whether it's in a business or in a family or in a marriage, in a relationship, or even in a church, that they're willing to say, you know what, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be the peacemaker. I'll be the peacemaker here. It's interesting to me when you look at the, like the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I, I may have missed a couple. But here's what I know. The interesting thing is, you know what the middle fruit is? Kindness. Because I think kindness links the others together. There's something about this issue of kindness. And so we have some myths, I believe, about conflict. And some of those myths are that if we just all know Jesus and we love one another, then harmony is normal. Unity is normal. It is not normal. If you're going to have unity or harmony in a marriage or a relationship, it's going to take hard work. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take com uh, communication. It's going to take peacemakers that are willing to, to get involved. And, and when you look at this, conflicts or power struggles over, over differences. When my, when my wants conflict with your wants, there's going to be conflict, right? We're just human. We're people. So when you look at this issue of harmony or unity, it just it takes hard work. And so it doesn't, it doesn't happen by accident. It is not natural. It is, it is natural for us. This is what James tells us. The book of James, you can read it in James chapter 4. And James talks about this. That, that it's just normal for us as humans, flesh, fallen. For you know what? We're, we care about our self-interest. We, we care about our desires. We're, we can be self-centered. And James is the one that says, the reason, listen, the reason that we have conflict is because our desires conflict. And so Nehemiah is in the middle, middle of building this wall, and he hears about this conflict. So he has a choice. Is he going to be a peacemaker? Is he going to escape? Is he going to attack? Or is, is he going to get involved? And so Nehemiah chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and we'll walk through this together, and we'll, we'll give you some things as we go. So here's what it says. There was widespread outcry from the people and their wives against the Jewish countrymen. Some were saying, we are sons and our daughters are numerous. Let us get grain so that we can eat and live. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, vineyards, and homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, I mean, it, this is a major meltdown. We have borrowed money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. We and our children are just like our countrymen and their children. Yet we are subjecting our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters are already enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. So now all of a sudden, you know, they have a little bit of victim mentality. That we're powerless in this situation and we feel like we're being taken advantage of. And so here's what's going on. The wives are upset and the wives have good reason to be upset. The men, because they're rebuilding the wall, the men are no longer in the fields farming. The men are no longer working. They're, they're rebuilding the wall. They're rebuilding the wall for, for free. And remember, if you, if you remember back when we walked through this, they're using a lot of their farm tools, their farm implements to protect themselves. So, so they're, they're not in the fields working. And as a result of that, there's huge problems at home. 
All of a sudden, that area goes into a famine. Many believe the reason they're in the famine because the farmers are on the wall. And so there was nobody there to farm the, the ground and take care of, 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 of everything. So they, got, they have this, this conflict going on because there is, there is no food. And so some decide, well, here's what we're going to do. Let's just let's get, a, let's, let's, let's get a second on our homes. Let's mortgage our, our fields, and, and, and then we'll get some money so that we can buy some food. So, so now they're getting seconds on their homes, and that didn't really work out, and so they ran out of money there. And so then they, they started selling stuff. And so they started having garage sales and putting things on Craigslist and, you know, Facebook Marketplace. And, and so they're selling stuff, but they, but they still need money. Verse 1 tells us against the Jewish countrymen. So now we realize, you know what's happening? The rich Jews are oppressing the poor Jews. They're, they're taking their stuff. They're getting their homes. They're getting their fields. Their, their fields. They're, they're getting their things. And all of a sudden, the rich Jews are oppressing the, the poor Jews. And the rich are becoming richer and the poor are becoming poor. And so the, they, they can't eat. They can't pay their taxes. And so what can they do? So you know what they do? I mean, they're desperate. They sell their sons and daughters into slavery. Can you imagine that? This is horrible. I mean, they're just trying to survive. So they start selling their sons and daughters into slavery. And so remember, remember Israel's greatest commandment? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's not that they're just not loving their neighbor. They're taking advantage of them. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that they were governed under a few things, and they, they gave them some instructions, and one, they were supposed to care for the poor, and it was okay to lend money, but they weren't supposed to charge interest, and then, it, then they were never to enslave a fellow Jew. So they're not just breaking one of them, right? They're breaking all of them, and so they're breaking all three. They're not caring for the poor. They're lending money, but they're, they're, they're not just charging interest. It wasn't a low rate of interest. I mean, they were, they were charging like credit card rate of interest. They're taking advantage of them. And now they're letting them sell their sons and daughters into slavery. So all of a sudden they're getting more and more. And Nehemiah is a leader. He sees this. And it's a leader's job, whether it's in a family, whether it's in a church, whether it's in an organization, not to escape and not to attack, but to be the peacemaker to get involved. And so Nehemiah has a decision. I mean, really and truly, he had to ask himself, what is, what is it good? What good is it to build a wall when there's no unity? There's no harmony. What good is it to build a house when everybody in that house is divided? When there's, there's no harmony. There's no unity. What good is it to, to build a church if God's people cannot get along? I mean, how can a church, and they're going to ask this question later. It's interesting. How can a church have a positive, added, a positive reputation or be a light into a community if the church people can't even get along? What good is it to have a family? What good is it to have a marriage if there's not even harmony or unity and you can't get along? See, these are the things that Nehemiah is dealing with. Paul had this issue in, in the church there in, in, in Philippi. And he had a couple of people that couldn't get along. And he writes in, and we'll look at that text, and he writes into them, and he encourages. You know what he's asking? He's just saying, could somebody, could somebody be a peacemaker? Could just somebody be a peacemaker? Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. So then, my dearly loved and long, uh, so then, 
my dearly loved and longed for, for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this matter, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So he's making sure that you know. I urge Edai and, and Sunichi to, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So he's clear. Guess what? We're all believers here. Paul's very, very clear. Paul is very clear. Guess what? We, we, we're not just believers. We serve together. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul begins begging them to figure out a way just, just to get along. These two, two ladies in the church could not get along, and it's dividing the church. The second thing is this. If we're not careful, conflict will distract us. If we're not careful in relationships, whether it's marriage or, or family or church or business, that conflict will distract us to where the, before long, that's all we talk about is the unresolved conflict. And, and you see this with Paul. And it's easy to get distracted and forget the, the goal when conflict comes. And so the, these, the, the two that were in Philippi that had conflict, they weren't disagree. Listen, they weren't disagreeing over doctrinal matters. Man, that wasn't the disagreement here. It was a small disagreement. There is a false belief, I believe, in relationships, and especially some of the times in which we live, that a lot of people think disagreements and conflict is the same thing. It's not. Just because someone disagrees with you doesn't mean you're walking through, dis through conflict. There are some things, right? There are some things we can disagree over and still be in unity, right? I mean, if you're in a relationship, if you're in a situation and someone demands that you agree with them at all times and all things, that's an unhealthy relationship. You, you can have a personal opinion. You can have, you can have your thought. You can have your, your, the things that you, you believe, right? We don't have to all disagree over the same thing, right, and still be in unity. We don't have to all agree that the Dallas Cowboys are still America's team <laughs> to be in unity, right? Isn't that what makes football fun? We disagree. And we wear di different jerseys. But guess what? We're still believers. Well, some of the teams, anyway, we'll move on. But this last week, our, our staff thought it was funny. And I'll, I won't mention his name. He's in the service. Uh, they were talking about a meme that went around that said, if, if you could bring one technology back that's gone away, which would it be? And I'm thinking, you guys are so young, you don't even know what technology is gone. Anyway, he said he saw a meme that said, if you could bring technology back, what would it be? And, he, and the answer was a VCR so the Dallas Cowboy fans could watch their team again in a Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, he's now on probation. And so... Uh, <laughs> And so, listen, we don't, listen, we don't have to, we, they're not, listen, they're not disagreeing on doctrinal issues. Isn't it sometimes it's the small disagreements that divide us? Have you ever had a conflict? Have you ever had an argument, and when it's all said and done, you say, man, that was pretty stupid. That was a small issue. And we, this isn't what they're dealing with. 
And Paul is begging. I mean, Paul is begging. Just someone get involved. Just someone help this. I mean, it was like these two individuals were saying, you know what, I'm not going to serve if she's there. I'm not going to go to life group if she's there. I'm not going to that worship service if she's in the room. I'm not going to that party. I mean, this is, this is, this is what's happening. Paul is saying, you've got to learn to agree in the Lord because both of you are Christians and both of you, your names are written in the book of life. And guess what? You've been serving together. The problem with conflict, that listen, if it, if it is not dealt with, it will divide us relationally. Because you know what happens in conflict? People begin choosing sides. You can have that happen in a family, right? When someone, when someone escapes and someone knows there's this conflict in the family and nobody wants to deal with it, you know what's going to naturally happen? People are going to choose sides. That was what was happening here. Unresolved conflict, unresolved problems, do nothing. I'm just telling you, do nothing but divide. And it's just not healthy. Conflict, what Paul was saying, hurts the testimony, hurts your, your, your hurts the, the testimony of the church because when you read about this church, you realize that the conflict had spilled out in the community and people were talking about it. And it's interesting. Paul begins to encourage them and say, you need to agree in, in the Lord. And Paul said, did not say that, that, that you should... You, and Paul's, Paul, Paul does not say that you should sing with harmony, but that you should live in harmony. Man, I've learned this. It's It's easy. Are easier for Christians to sing in unity, to sing the same words, to sing in unity than it is to live in unity. That's the challenge with Paul. That's why Larry Osborne, Larry Osborne is a pastor in California, and he says this, I don't think it's an accident that Jesus predicted church growth, but he prayed for unity. Unity is not normal. Harmony is not normal. Harmony takes peacemakers. Harmony takes work. Harmony in relationships, I'm just telling you, many of you already know this, it, it, takes, a, it takes a lot of work. The third and the last thing is this, what does the Bible teach about resolving conflict? So when conflict comes, and Nehemiah handled it, I mean, it's textbook, what does the Bible say about resolving conflict? Well, the first thing the Bible talks about, and we're going to walk through these as we walk through Nehemiah. The first thing is this. You've got to process your emotions before talking to the person that hurts you. You have to come, and you're going to, well, let's just walk through this. You're going to see this in Nehemiah's life. Verse 6, Nehemiah chapter 5, I became extremely angry. That's an honest response. That is healthy. I became extremely angry when I heard the outcry and their complaints. So Nehemiah is honest. I'm angry. I'm just angry. And uh, there are times that, guess what? Righteous anger. There are times that we should be angry. The problem is, is when we equate anger with abuse, anger with hurting people. Jesus, you know, Paul said, in your anger, do not sin. So anger is an emotion. It's a secondary emotion, and you need to recognize that. And so like Nehemiah, we need to recognize our anger, but we need to process it. Listen, if you don't process it, then you will process it on somebody else. If you don't personally process your anger, process through it, then you're going to process it out loud on somebody else. It's going to hurt. And so verse 7, after seriously considering the matter. So when when, when, when you look at this text... And you look at the way that it was written in the, in the Hebrew, 
you realize that this took quite some time. This wasn't something that Nehemiah heard, got angry, flew off the handle, and dealt with. So he says, I seriously considered this matter, and we go through the text, but anyway. He says, I accused the nobles and the officials, saying to them, each of you is charging his countrymen interest, so I called a large assembly against them. And so the second thing is this. You've got to process out your anger, but the second thing is this. You've got to get the log out of your own eye first. Can I just tell you this? In conflict, it is never all their fault. It just never is. And we're going to see this in, the, in this text. And that's why one of the most dangerous prayers is not going to come up it's in your, uh, on the screen, Psalm, in case you want to reference Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Some, some believe that Nehemiah did this. God, is there anything offensive in me? What is my part in this? Could I have said something different? Could I have dealt with this differently? I mean, what, 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 what is in me that needs to, to, to change? So the first step is getting your anger in control. And then the next thing is getting your emotions, just getting your emotions under control. Understand, and so Nehemiah came to that place, and he just understood what was making him angry. What was, what, what's driving your anger? Listen, if you don't know what is driving your anger, you can never resolve the conflict. What is making you angry? What are you really angry about? What is, what is that emotion? What is driving? See, Nehemiah understood that. And Galatians tells us that when we go, and we're going to talk about that, you restore gently. So I believe kindness is like the middle word and the fruit of the spirits because kindness is the thing that holds all the fruit together, the way that we handle. And so Jesus told us, guess what? When there's an offense, you go and you be reconciled. See, that's the difference between opposition and conflict. Opposition doesn't want to be reconciled. It's my way or the highway. I mean, I, I don't want to be reconciled. Conflict has a desire to guess what? We're, we're going to reconcile this. And so the, the, the third or fourth thing is, I lost count, you must go to the person who offended you. Nehemiah doesn't write an email. He doesn't post on Facebook. He doesn't post on Instagram. He doesn't post, uh, you know, post on, 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 on Twitter, hashtag they offended me. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do any of that. He, listen, he doesn't even try to get a group of people ahead of time on his side. He doesn't even stack the deck. He, I mean, he just, he, just, he just goes to them, goes directly to them. And he's angry, but you know what? He knows why he's angry. He's angry because they're threatening the unity of the people. He's angry because they're taking advantage of, of, of people. And so Nehemiah deals with the problem, and he deals with the problem immediately after he gets his anger under control and he gets his emotions under control. Problems do not destroy you. Unresolved problems will. Those unresolved problems that keep you up at night, those unresolved problems that you rehearse that speech or you rehearse that conversation when you confront someone and you win every time, right? They see it your way. Oh, you're so right. You know that conversation? Am I the only one? Okay, good, good. They don't do unresolved problems do. 
And when you look at this, he goes to them, verse 7 and 8. After seriously considering this matter, I accuse the nobles and officials saying to them, each of you is charging his countrymen interest. So I called a large assembly against them and said, we have done our best to buy back Jewish countrymen who were sold to foreigners. But now you sell your own countrymen and we have to buy, th- we have to buy them back. They remain, remain silent and could not say a word. The way that, listen, the way you and I know when we processed out our anger, we processed out our emotion, we can sit down with one, someone and just state the facts. And we tell a story. We're not personally attacking them. We're not telling them you're not as good Christian as me. You don't have as much faith as me. When you and I know, that's the way we know when we process out our anger, when we process out our emotions, that we can just sit down with someone and have an adult conversation where we're not trying to emotionally manipulate them and throw God's name around and all, all those other things. That we can just sit down with them and say, these are the facts. These are facts. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you a story. And Nehemiah went to them because he understood what was at stake. There's sometimes, right? There's sometimes in life, whether it's marriage and relationship, we have crucial conversations. A crucial conversation is when you know that, that what is at stake is a relationship. What is at stake is the unity of the family, the unity of an organization, the unity of the church. And the last thing is that you have to be willing to be reconciled. And then I said, what you're doing isn't right. Shouldn't we walk in fear of our God and not invite the approach of foreign enemies? He's like, what, what we're doing is not good. You're destroying our witness. You're destroying our testimony. Verse 10, even this, this is huge. So remember when we started this off together, I said you got to get the log out of your eye first. Rarely, I, sh- I should have said never. I know you're never supposed to say never. There are exceptions, but rarely is it always somebody else's fault. How's that? This is huge. Watch the language here, verse 10. This is Nehemiah. Even I, as well as my brothers and my servants, have been lending them money and grain. Please, let's, plural. You can, if you're like old school, you can circle some of this stuff because Nehemiah is including himself. Let's stop charging this interest. Nehemiah is honest enough. Hey, I've been doing this too. I've been lending money and charging interest. I haven't done the other two. Isn't it something when you sit down with someone in conflict and they're willing to own their stuff? Isn't it frustrating to sit in conflict with someone and and tell the facts, tell a story, and they won't even own their part? They won't even take responsibility for their part? And all they do is like blame like you're all the problem? My respect for Nehemiah went up so much when I saw this because as a leader, he didn't have to do this. Nehemiah owns what his is to own. A leader, a pastor, should never call a church to do something they're not willing to do themselves. And Nehemiah is calling them into repentance, and he's repenting also. And the last thing is this. I know I think I've already said that, but I think this is the last thing. We need to understand that repentance includes restitution. Restitution is how are we going to make this right? Verse 11, 
returned the fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses to them immediately, along with the percentage of the money and grain, new wine, fresh oil, that you have been assessing them. If you have abused someone, if you have hurt someone, if you have taken advantage of someone, if you have lied, if you have cheated, if you had slandered for someone, someone, it is not just enough to say sorry. It's restitution. Sometimes you have to go and correct the problem. Nehemiah said, let's go and let's return it to them. Let, let's make it right. Verse 12, they responded and said, we'll return these things and require nothing more from them. We will do as you say. So I summoned the priest and made everyone take this oath. And then verse 13, and I, I shook the folds of my robe and said, may God likewise shake from this house and property everyone who doesn't keep this promise. May he been shaken out and have nothing. The whole assembly said amen. So this is like revival. Remember, revival always starts with you. And they praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Furthermore, um, from that day, King Artaxerxes appointed me to be the governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year until the 32nd year, 12 years. And I and my associates never ate from the food allotted to the governor. The governors who preceded me and heavenly burdened the people, taking from them food and wine as well as a pound of silver. Their subordinates also oppressed the people. But because of the fear of God, I didn't do this. So now all of a sudden, he changes some things. Instead, I devoted myself to the construction of this wall, and all of my sub subordinates were gathered there for the work. We didn't buy any land. There were 150 Jews and officials as well as guests from the surrounding nations at my table. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, some fowl were prepared for me. An abundance of all kinds of wine was provided every 10 days. But I didn't demand the food allotted to the governor because the burden on the people was too heavy. Remember me favorably, my God, for all that I have done for this people. And all of a sudden, revival broke out. Why? Because it had handled conflict. So let me ask you a question. Is, are you at odds with anyone? Is there any unresolved conflict? Because problems do not destroy you, unresolved problems do. Have you processed out your anger? Have you processed out your emotions? Is there something? Is there something that you need to do? Do you need to be like Nehemiah and say, God, you know, what is my part in all this? And how do you want me to walk in this? Because I am not God. And there's some things that I do not understand. And there are some things that I cannot control. But what I can control is me. And I get it, I understand, not every story turns out the way Nehemiah's story did. But for your story, is there an unresolved issue going on that you just need to have a conversation and state the facts without any personal attacks or anything like that and just see just see what God will do would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes